We're on the record. I'm Shima Cass. Good morning. Saturday will mark three years since rioters stormed the U.S. Capitol. Among them were Christian nationalist sympathizers. Concern about the political influence of these far-right Christians has mounted since the 2020 election. What do Christian nationalists believe? How widely held are their beliefs? Last year, the Public Religion Research Institute and the Brookings Institution surveyed more than 6,000 Americans in order to better understand this movement. Joining me to talk about what the results revealed is Robert P. Jones, president and founder of the Public Religion Research Institute, a nonprofit, nonpartisan research group. He's also the author of several books on race and religion, including his most recent, The Hidden Roots of White Supremacy and the Path to a Shared American Future. Welcome back to the show, Robbie. Thanks. I'm glad to be back. How do you define Christian nationalism? At PRRI, because we do public opinion surveys, we have to define it um, very uh, carefully. And, And one of the things we did in the survey was Uh, to measure it across a bunch of different attitudes. In fact, there's five different measures uh, that we use to combine them into getting one measure that we can actually then quantify uh, beliefs in in Christian nationalism. It comes down to the questions like this, you know, agree with agreement with these kinds of questions. God has called Christians to exercise dominion over all areas of American society, or the U.S. government should declare America a Christian nation. Uh, Being Christian is important part of being truly American, our U.S. law should be based on Christian values. So it's those statements like that that we statistically combine uh, together uh, and look at agreement across all of those measures as a general orientation to what we are calling Christian nationalism. And so what did you find about how popular, how, how popular is this movement in the, in the U.S.? Yeah, well, you know, using that metric, um, uh, which, by the way, has a lot of political science literature behind it, um, you know, we found that uh, essentially we divided uh, the public into four different categories. Those who were uh, what we call Christian nationalism adherents. Those are people who essentially uh, strongly agree with all of those statements. That's about 10 percent. Uh, of the country. Uh, the next group is Christian nationalism sympathizers. Those are people who mostly agree uh, with all of those statements. That's another 19% of uh, the public. And then we have uh, skeptics and rejectors. Uh, the, the rejectors are those who mostly disagree. That's 39% of the country. And uh, the rejectors are those who completely disagree with those statements. That's 29% of the country. Uh, but when we look at the attitudes, really, it's it's the top two categories um, that that uh, kind of hold together. So the, it's the adherents and the sympathizers. It's about three in ten Americans who lean toward agreeing uh, with these basic precepts of Christian nationalism. Drill down for us: what which Americans are most supportive of Christian nationalism? Yeah, that's really important. These ideas are not evenly distributed across uh, the country. Uh, there are basically two groups that really stand out, and, and this may not surprise listeners once you hear what they are. Um, the group that holds the highest uh, group is a religious group. It's it's white evangelical uh, Protestants, uh, and 64% of them are either a Christian nationalism adherents are sympathizers. Uh, the other group in the political space um, uh, is Republicans. Um, it's it's a majority there too. It's it's fifty four percent of Republicans, and compared to only fifteen percent uh, of of Democrats. So you can kind of see 
um, you know, the Republicans are nearly four times as likely uh, to hold these views. Uh, and and white, white evangelicals, for example, are, um, you know, on the order of like 10 times as likely to hold them as religiously aff- unaffiliated uh, Americans. And what about the other, like the profile of such people in terms of education, race, yeah. et cetera? Well, in general, um, you know, what we find is that the other general attributes um, are that those who support a Christian nationalism tend to be older, uh, generally over the age of 50. Uh, they tend to have lower education levels um, uh, to be without a four-year college degree, uh, for example. Uh, notably, we didn't find a lot of differences by region uh, in the country. So this is more of a nationalized thing that's kind of driven more by uh, religious identity, uh, political identity, age, and education are the really main factors uh, striking. We also found not a lot of differences uh, uh, by gender. What What do we know about the religious habits of adherence to Christian nationalism? Yeah. Well, there's been some debate about this and, and some, I think, uh, uh, kind of anecdotal uh, evidence that uh, perhaps these were people who were uh, Christian in name only, uh, that is, that they claim the identity but didn't really go to church or didn't pray, uh, didn't read the Bible, didn't do kind of traditional uh, religious, uh, Christian religious practices. Uh, but but our survey didn't find really any evidence uh, for that. And in fact, you know, we found um, that uh, one of the key correlates uh, to holding these views was actually church attendance. Um, so uh, those attending uh, once a week or more, uh, about half of those uh, Americans Ooh. who attend uh, uh, once a week or more are either Christian nationalism adherents or sympathizers. That's compared to only about 18%, so less than one in five of those who attend religious services seldom or never. So this tells us that um, you know this is not something just floating around in the culture, uh, but it's actually something that's alive and well inside of Christian institutions, uh, particularly white evangelical uh, Christian institutions and churches. That's Robert P. Jones of the Public Religion Research Institute. Here on The Record on WIPR, I'm Sheila Cast. We're talking about the beliefs underpinning the Christian nationalist movement in the U.S. Flags and signs associated with Christian nationalism were on display as rioters stormed the U.S. Capitol on January 6, 2021. What is the relationship between attitudes about political violence and views on Christian nationalism? You know, I, I think this is really important. Uh, you know, we if you look back at photos or, or film of um, uh, the, the January 6th insurrection, you, you do see very prominently there giant crosses, uh, T-shirts, flags uh, with Christian symbols. And, you know, it's interesting they're marching alongside things like Confederate flags and other white supremacist uh, symbols. And, you know, it, it tells us, I think, that there is this kind of correlation uh, between white identity, uh, you know, those Confederate flags and the Christian flags were really marching, uh, you know, side by side uh, there. Um, and it also, these things are connected also to political violence, um, as, as you mentioned, you know, we and we see this not only in the demonstrated, right, in the violence of January 6th, but we see it also in the data. Um, when we asked Americans, our question reads like this, um, because things have gotten so far off track, True American patriots may have to resort to violence in order to save the country. Do you agree or disagree uh, with that statement? Uh, among all Americans, it's it's only um, 16% of Americans who agree uh, with that statement. But among Christian nationalism adherents, that number rises to 40%. Christian nationalism adherents are nearly three times as likely as the general public to uh, believe they may have to resort to violence in order to save the country. 
I'm trying to make sense out of what seem to be divergent trends to me. Christian nationalists are looking for more religion in government, and meanwhile, a quarter of Americans are religiously unaffiliated. Mm. PRRI estimates four in 10 Americans aged 18 to 29 are not affiliated religiously. Is Christian nationalism a reaction to secularism? That's a great question, and and certainly one of the most dramatic trends that we've seen over the last 20 years um, is the rise of those who claim no religious affiliation, as you said. I mean, if we go back just, you know, before the turn of the last century into the 1990s, the number of Americans who claim no religious affiliation is in single digits. And as you say, today, it's a quarter and even a little bit more in in our our, um, our, our recent data uh, of Americans who claim no religious affiliation. A correlate to that, which I think is notable and related to um, this, these dynamics, has been a decline in the proportion of Americans who are white Christians. Um, so, again, we kind of use the same time span. Uh, we go back to the turn of the century. Um, those Americans who identify as white and Christian were uh, a majority of the country, um, around 54, 55 percent at the turn of the century. That number today is 42 and there's no group that has declined more than white evangelical Protestants, the group that has holds these Christian nationalist beliefs most strongly. They've declined from being about a quarter of the population just by themselves uh, down to just over 13% of the population. They've dropped by nearly half as a proportion of the population. And I think these things are related, right? So what we're seeing is a group that has always understood itself to be really at the top of the social and political and cultural hierarchy uh, in the country. They have understood the country to be a essentially a white Christian country and finding themselves now demographically and culturally uh, in the minority. And so I think as the number of unaffiliated rise and particularly as the number of white Christians have, uh, have shrunk, um, this is part of the reaction uh, uh, to that of kind of trying to reclaim, again, a place at the top of the hierarchy, reclaim power um, that they perceive to have uh, lost over the last couple of decades. What are you going to be monitoring as the presidential election gets closer? Well, we're certainly going to be tracking this. In, in fact, um, you know, uh, next month uh, in February, PRRI will be releasing a 50-state map of uh, Christian nationalism adherence. We've been tracking this all across 2020. We have more than 20,000 interviews that gives us enough Uh, data to uh, actually look at this across states and see which states have higher and lower uh, rates of adherence to Christian nationalism. Um, And we'll be watching this as a key dividing point, you know, in the election. We're certainly seeing uh, this come to the forefront in um, uh, former President Donald Trump's rhetoric, Uh, whether it's anti-immigrant rhetoric, anti-Muslim rhetoric, it's all linked to uh, these claims about a kind of white Christian country that's somehow being, in his words, even poisoned uh, uh, by non-white, non-Christian people. So I think we'll be watching this to kind of be, in many ways, the tip of the spear of the political divides that we'll be wrestling with um, in, in 2024. This is so interesting. Robbie, thanks for telling us about it. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Robert P. Jones is the president and founder of the Public Religion Research Institute. At the On the Record page at WIPR.org, we have links to PRRI's polling on the threat of Christian nationalism. Short break now. When we're back, Christian nationalist clergy and followers joined the rioters at the Capitol insurrection. A new documentary explores the modern roots of this movement. I'm Sheila Cass. Stay with us.
Welcome back to On the Record. I'm Sheila Cast. I believe we're going to shift this nation, this election that's been stolen from Donald Trump and from the United States of America. This is why it's so important that we gather tomorrow and pray and show up and just take a stand to show the world that this is the most egregious fraud that's happened, it's scandalous that's happened in U.S. history. And this week, we're going to throw Jezebel out and Jehu's going to rise up and we're going to rule and reign through President Trump and under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That's a clip from the new documentary, Spiritual Warriors, Decoding Christian Nationalism at the Capitol Riot, produced by the Institute for Islamic, Christian, and Jewish Studies, a Towson nonprofit that works to dismantle religious bias and advance interreligious understanding. Baltimore filmmaker Michael Ivan Schwartz directed the project, which features the research of ICJS senior scholar Matthew Taylor. Taylor joins us by Zoom. Good morning, Matt. Good morning, Sheila. Who were the Christian nationalists at the Capitol on January 5th and 6th? Well, there were a lot of Christian nationalists uh, at the Capitol that day, people who have paid attention to the imagery that we've seen from that day. We'll remember the Christian flags, we'll remember the various prayers, Christian music that was played during the Capitol riot. Um, and I've spent the last three years really digging into um, the, the Christian leaders who were inspiring that day and who really motivated and mobilized Christians to show up for January 6th. And what I've actually found and what we show in the documentary is that while there were many different forms of Christianity, many different forms of Christian nationalism um, that were present in Washington, D.C. on January 6th, 2021, the the dominant form was uh, coming out of more of the non-denominational charismatic world. So this is uh, kind of the, the country cousins of Pentecostalism, except Pentecostalism tends to be more denominational. So these, these are non-denominational networks um, that um, tend to be more of the Wild West of American Christianity, um, where you have a lot more experimentation, a lot more energy. Um, and also this is a sector of American Christianity that's become very, very politicized in the last decade. You point to C. Peter Wagner, a leader in the charismatic Christian movement, as a common denominator among these January 6th participants. Wagner died in 2016. What what should we know about his teachings? Peter Wagner was a seminary professor. He um, was at Fuller Theological Seminary, which is actually my own alma mater. I, I, I attended there, got a master's degree there. And he was there for about 30 years at the end of the 20th century. Very important figure in American evangelicalism, very important thinker in terms of uh, the way that American evangelicals think about missions and about church growth. And in the 1990s, Wagner became very fixated on this non-denominational charismatic space um, and even became a participant in that space. Um, and in the mid-90s, he helped coin a term called the New Apostolic Reformation, which is this um, idea of a, a renewed church that will be led by modern-day apostles and prophets. And Wagner is very passionate about this idea. He began, he left Fuller Seminary in 1999 uh, to retire and actually to try to build this new apostolic reformation idea that he had um, already kind of embraced and theorized. And he started creating mentoring networks and leadership networks of people identifying as these apostles and prophets. And what we show in the documentary and what I show in my forthcoming book is that um, at least five of Wagner's closest disciples 
were very much present in Washington, D.C. on January 6th, helping to lead the Christian manifestations that we saw in the crowd. And many more in his networks helped to mobilize and galvanize Christians to be there. Uh, th these were some of the most ardent networks of support for Donald Trump among evangelical Christians. And um, they really it was really a motivating force in the Christian manifestations we saw that day. Well, these international Christian organizations that Wagner founded and the books he wrote, they talk about the concept of spiritual warfare. What is spiritual warfare? It's the idea that there are um, angels and there are demons who are battling for control of the world around us. Many evangelicals, many Pentecostals believe in spiritual warfare. Um, and the idea is that as Christians, you can participate in this cosmic combat that's going on around you through personal prayer, through worship music, through devotional reading, um, through even practices like exorcism or exercising demons. What Peter Wagner did in the 1990s was he took this idea of spiritual warfare and really amped it up to the, to the nth degree. And he talked about something that was called strategic level spiritual warfare. And this is the idea that um, you can have organized campaigns of spiritual warfare, that these apostles and prophets of this new apostolic reformation were understood to be generals of spiritual warfare. And they would very much use this uh, terminology of generals of spiritual warfare. And the idea is that they were specially anointed by God to both organize Christians to lead these spiritual warfare campaigns, and that there were these hierarchies of demons, these what, what Wagner called territorial spirits, who had power over geographical territories in the world and also over human institutions. And so the idea of Wagner's concept of spiritual warfare was that, that Christians need to follow these apostles and prophets as they mobilize these campaigns. And then they, through these campaigns, they could drive out these territorial spirits that held sway over not only America, but over most of the world. Um, and those ideas are a driving force in what we witnessed on January 6th. And you even had disciples of Wagner's who were there on January 6th praying against territorial spirits, praying against, they believed that these territorial spirits, these high-level demons had hijacked the 2020 election and were working through um, the uh, Democratic Party and through any Republicans who are disloyal to Donald Trump and were that really it was demons who were the, the motive force behind um, what they saw as the stealing of the election. And they believed that through their spiritual authority, they could stop those demons. How do today's leaders in the New Apostolic Reformation communicate with their followers? Charismatic leaders, these independent charismatic leaders, because they aren't working through denominational constructs, because they tend to be more independent, um, they often are also media figures. And so they're very adept at using social media. They're very adept at using charismatic media. And there's a whole niche culture, a subculture within evangelicalism of this charismatic media. Um, people are, are some probably familiar with Fox News or One America News Network, these uh, what are considered kind of right-wing news sources. Well, these charismatic media sources are an adjunct to that. They're, they're, they're very, very popular, but not really well-known to people who are outside of that world. And the people that I track who were present on January 6th, these leaders who I argue are some of the, the real architects, the theological architects of January 6th, are very adept at using media. They have their own um, social media channels, their own podcasts, um, and they used those to, to really stir up 
this Trump support and this belief in Trump's lies about the 2020 election. That's religious scholar Matt Taylor of the Institute for Islamic, Christian, and Jewish Studies. On the record in WIPR, I'm Sheila Cast. We're talking about a new documentary exploring influences in the Christian nationalist movement and their connection to the January 6th insurrection at the Capitol. This movement includes the belief that President Trump is chosen by God. And I said, I believe Isaiah 45 prophesies that God raises up secular rulers for times like this. The 45th president is Osiris. Mm. And then I even told him, I said, it even says, though you know me not. It doesn't matter to us that, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to convince us you're an evangelical. This is called the Cyrus anointing, right? Explain that. Yeah, the, this idea, it really emerged very early on in the 2016 campaign. Um, Donald Trump declared his candidacy for president uh, in, in uh, June of 2015. And within about a month of that, uh, of Trump entering the race, um, some of these independent charismatic prophets had already begun speaking about Donald Trump as a, a type of Cyrus. If you remember your Hebrew Bible, Cyrus is um, the emperor of the Persian Empire, and the Persian Empire conquers the Babylonian Empire, which had imprisoned many of the Jewish leaders living in exile in Babylon. And then Cyrus is this pagan emperor who sends the Jewish leaders back from exile to rebuild Jerusalem and to restore um, the, the kingdom of, of Judea. And so the, this idea of Trump as Cyrus becomes very, very important. Um, we just heard a clip from one of these New Apostolic Reformation leaders named Lance Wallnow. He's the one who really popularized this idea of Donald Trump as Cyrus. And again, he was doing this in the fall of 2015. This was very early on. And you had uh, this attachment to this idea that even though Donald Trump is not a good Christian, even though he is not um, a devout Christian in these folks' evaluation, he is anointed by God with this prophetic destiny, this prophetic purpose to restore conservative Christians, to bring them back from what they perceive as cultural exile and to bring them back into positions of power. Even though he's not a good Christian, he's a protector of Christians and of conservative Christianity in America. Your forthcoming book is titled The Violent Take It By Force, the Christian movement that is threatening our democracy. Why do you think this movement poses a threat to our political system? Democracy is premised on the idea that everyone is equal. Everyone participates in our voting, in our democratic structures, in our society, and everyone's voice is included. And when we talk about liberal or pluralistic democracy, that's the idea that we have protection for our individual rights, for our individual conscience, for minorities, for religious minorities, for ethnic minorities. And part of what I see as, I, as I've studied and dug deep into these New Upstock Reformation networks into their ideas, into the idea, the Christian theologies that fueled January 6th, is there's a very strong belief in Christian supremacy and that, that Christians or that Christianity should be supreme and should guide and have a, a premier role in American society. Um, and for a lot of these folks, they are not that interested in democracy. They want to see what they believe is the prophetic destiny of America restored. They think that Christians are destined to rule over America. And they saw Donald Trump as a very important vehicle, one that was anointed by God to accomplish those ends. These folks have not calmed down 
They've not been disheartened since January 6th. If anything, the leaders that I track have become more popular. And so in some ways, as we enter into this 2024 um, election, these folks are going to be on the front lines of mobilizing right-wing Christians. Um, and what we saw in the 2020 election cycle was that that mobilization was characterized by a great rhetoric of violence, rhetoric of spiritual warfare. And then all of that contributed directly to the violence that we saw on January 6th. And so I'm, I, I'm very concerned that I think these same leaders are right now gearing up for another election that they see as a cosmic battle between good and evil. And they are already gathering around Donald Trump as their champion, as the one that they see again as a Cyrus figure who will um, bring redemption as they understand it to America. Matt, thanks. Thanks for talking to us. Thank you so much. Matthew Taylor is a senior scholar and the Protestant scholar at the Institute for Islamic, Christian, and Jewish Studies. You can catch the documentary, Spiritual Warriors, Decoding Christian Nationalism at the Capitol Riot, at a screening on January 31st at the Senator Theater in Baltimore. Details at the On the Record page at wypr.org. I'm Sheila Cast. Glad you're with us on the record. Come back tomorrow. <laughs>